goal. Cleared. Gates with a shot. Cherry up! Name on the trophy. It's gone over to the final whistle and City here looking for an opening. It's Dick off again! Can you believe it? Becker. It's a Cherry Hello everyone and welcome back to the Mancunian Way podcast. I'm your co-host Ollie, joined by Serge. You doing everyone? Good evening, good evening, good evening. We've got a very special guest with us today. City fans, you'll be very, very familiar with him. We've got Jack Gunn. I've never ever been able to match Serge's energy and I'm never, I'm not going to try now. <laughs> well, as I say, City fans, you'll know Jack very well. He's officially the Northern Football Correspondent for the Daily Mail, but you will frequently find his updates and articles and breaking news popping up on City Extra, City Report and all the other aggregator accounts. We're very, very happy to have Jack on with us. Um, so the very first thing we're going to do, just give Jack three quick fire questions. I'm going to hand these over to Serge just to get us warmed up. Right, Jack. So here we go. Are you ready for these? These are class. Not really. But go on. Right, okay. First one, Vinto or Rybina? Uh, Rybina. Right, okay. That's controversial. Uh, Portugal or Spain? Definitely Spain. Okay. And finally, this is a difficult one. Ronaldo or Pessi? Uh, Ronaldo. <laughs> That's the wow. Right. That's the right answer. <laughs> Stocks already dropped amongst the City fans. <laughs> <of Jack. laughs> You won't be saying that if you signed him last year. Yeah, that's true. I think he uh, might have done a little bit better with us as well, but we're not going to get onto that too much. So, Ollie, Jack, Liverpool this weekend, good game. Were you pleased with uh, how you guys played and uh, and uh, upped up with uh, Scandi uh, Carroll? What, what, what were your thoughts of the game? Jack, I'll let you go first on this one. I thought the... Uh... I thought City did all right in in spells. Um, they didn't really have that much cutting edge. They probably created enough chances to win the game. Um, they're always it's always quite strange watching them in the Community Shield because they have a shorter preseason than everyone else um, by design. That's the manager gives them a longer break in in June and uh, in early July. So they're sort of probably like two or three weeks off. Um, match sharpness. That being said, I thought Liverpool controlled the game quite um, quite well in spells. thought Nunes looked bright off the bench. Um, and yeah, it's what, I don't know. I'd, obviously, I've not got, a, not got a horse in the race for Liverpool or City, but I don't, I'm not sure how much anyone really cares about winning the Community Shield. I think, I think the managers care because they, they like to use it as, a, as an extra piece of silverware. Um, but it is a glorified pre-season friendly and it's like you get to the King Power and it seemed like everyone had just like woken up from a weird daze over the summer and just suddenly arrived in Leicester and here's the season starting. It was a strange, it was a strange afternoon. Mm. What did you think, Ollie? What were your thoughts on the game? No, I, I agree with a lot of what Jack said. You know, you do like to use it as a competition, a, a trophy to show off at times. You know, when City won a domestic treble, we won the Community Shield that season. It was marketed as the formidables and a domestic quadruple, which, you know, in, in a sense, yes, you, you, you have to be at the top to get there. You've either got to win the league or win the FA Cup. But at the end of the day, yes, it is a glorified friendly. It's, it, it's a curtain raiser, isn't it? A traditional curtain raiser. So it, you know, we're not going to look back at the end of the season and be ruining our chances in this game, but it would have been nice to win it. Uh, we were slow in patches. I, I think a lot of the game, we just looked half a yard slower. I think the fact that Liverpool had had a longer pre-season than us did show at times. Um, our rhythm was probably a little bit off as well, which is really odd because, uh, and you know, we're going to get onto this as well because we've got uh, a little section just to cover Haaland's performance yesterday. But there were times when you could see that we were undergoing a bit of a system change, which is odd because in pre-season we didn't have that 
it, it, pre-season, I think everyone was kind of really wide-eyed at seeing that the 45 minutes that Haaland had with us against Bayern Munich, he slotted right in and nothing really looked too different from last season. But then against Liverpool yesterday, it, it, it did show. So, happy in parts. I think some things look really good. Julian Alvarez was a massive positive point. He looked really dangerous, direct, confident. He looked great. I actually thought he looked, in many ways, I thought he looked better than Haaland yesterday. Not that, not that that's much to say about Haaland's performance, because I think I think everyone would probably say it, 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 he wasn't fantastic. I don't know. I, I, I thought Haaland's performance yesterday was... Um, I, I, in fact, I thought Manchester City's performance yesterday was was interesting because obviously it, it, it's it's more of a traditional formation with you know with Haaland and also with Alvarez coming on you know, playing two up top. I actually think City are better when you're off, often playing with inverted you know inverted wingers and false nines and you know you you, you play more of a formation you know you're often switching players you know into different positions the whole time even throughout the game I think you're you're very difficult to play against when you play these kind of unknown formations and no one really sticking to their positions yeah I don't know what, what were your thoughts on that Jack uh, I, well I don't think they, uh, to be honest I don't think they play particularly any differently to what they did last year really they had De Bruyne pushed up quite high it was effectively a 4-4-2 um, De, De Bruyne's going to get a lot of joy playing up, up alongside Haaland this year he's going to score a lot of goals I think he got 19 last year and I wouldn't expect him to get to get more uh, this time in all competitions I just I, I think I think playing Liverpool just came a couple of weeks too early for them to be honest I, they, there is going to be an element of getting used to Haaland and playing up to him quicker. Uh, and I take your point with sort of when they're not playing a false nine, they lose that man in midfield. So there were times when they did look a little bit stretched, particularly in the first half in midfield, when it was just Silver and, and Rodri uh, together. But you you look at the way they set up and they had Greenish on the left, Mahrez on the right, inverted wingers, De Bruyne was playing as high as he as he has done in the past twelve months, so there wasn't a massive difference. The only uh, the only thing they've got they've got to work on is being able to to, to feed off Haaland basically, mm. um, and and find a way of getting him into the game because they I don't think Pep wants him dropping deep. But when he doesn't get the ball, we saw it yesterday. If he doesn't get the ball, then he, he is going to drop. Like it's in a similar way that you saw Rooney do it for. Yeah, England and, England and United, they just come. These players just want the ball, don't they? So yeah, constantly. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting actually because the, those that bemoaned City's inverted commas boring football last season, for those that perhaps aren't connoisseurs of the false nine pet ball, will I think they'll be quite happy watching City's transition this season because it, it is clear that we're moving to a setup where De Bruyne is reprising more of a number ten role, and he's again we're, we're effectively losing two men in midfield because De Bruyne has sat further forward and he's the outlet for the break and then obviously Haaland's pretty much playing off the shoulder but there were a couple of times when De Bruyne received the ball Haaland's off running in behind and KDB's almost stuttered and I'll, honestly the last person in the world that I ever thought I'd be saying isn't playing the right passes yesterday was De Bruyne um, but he's obviously got a transition for himself in that he's not used to an outlet running in behind for that quick release and he's kind of holding it with his back to goal and looking for the pass either out wide to one of the wingers Grealish Mares coming in or to lay it back off to Bernardo and Rodri so yeah there, there are changes I think those two will find a rhythm De Bruyne and Haaland because at the end of the day they're both too good not to it's just going to take a bit of time but the upshot is that we are going to see a marked change in how we play to accommodate Haaland. Uh, my main concern, really, uh, and Jack, I don't know if you've picked up on the same thing. I mean, I'm sure you have. This is something that's, that's been talked about a lot. Grealish and Chancello just don't work, do they? Uh, no, it's uh, it's difficult. It's just because it makes the it makes the game too too narrow, um, mm. and it cuts the passing lines off uh, and the angles. I I was really surprised. Grealish like was really really good on tour. Looked like he. Um, thought I was really up for it. Looked really fit. Um, was aggressive on the ball, uh, putting himself about. And then yesterday again, you look at him and he's like played within himself a little bit. Didn't trust himself to to go and go and change the game for them, which is you know was a running theme last year. Um, and the Cancelo, yeah, the Cancelo Grealish thing. Obviously, Grealish can play a lot of games this year. They. 
need um, they need a natural left back. I know Cancelo is Cancelo's brilliant out there um, when he's with Foden and he can cut inside freely. Um, but without, I do, yeah, I'm I'm staggered that they haven't they've not signed a left back yet with a week to go. Yeah, Grealish's best football seems to come when he had Josh Wilson Esbrand running outside of him. Uh, and I, I think the pairings, I've spoken about this before, it's almost, I think, at this point being done to death because of the conversations around Cucurella. But we we need one wide man, whether it's coming from the fullback or the winger, so Foden or a traditional left back, and one inverted, whether it's Chancello or whether that's Grealish further up. It's going to be interesting to see how it pans out because I, I do worry that if we don't secure a left back, I worry for Grealish. I don't particularly blame Grealish. Yes, you know, he might not be being, but I think it's Roy Keane that, that said, he's made the point a few times that he's perhaps not being bold and brave enough. I, I take that point, but I think there is an element out of his control here, which is just simply that him and Chancello are just constantly running into each other. Um, and there's nobody dragging away the fullback to give Grealish that space to make those charges inside. So, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Just a question on, on, on Grealish, you know, kind of just kind of from someone who's, again, you know, I don't watch City week in, week out, but um, obviously we were after Grealish at, at one point uh, before he signed for City, and I know he was keen to move to United. Obviously, his his natural position for Villa was kind of centre mid. Do you ever see him becoming any part of City's kind of central central midfield section, you know, if maybe Bernardo was to leave? One of them would have to, one of Greedish or Foden would have to would have to move into midfield, I think. Um and it's funny because you're right, Serge, the that position is Grealish's calling, but it's also Foden's calling as well. But because of the way they play, they've mm-hmm. both of them now play wider and then come in and sort of yeah. affect the game that way. The yeah, if Bernardo was to go in the next twelve months, then you would you would assume that one of those would then take that take that position. Uh, the different the problem the, the issue they've got is that Bernardo now plays as much deeper, yeah. um, and they would then have to change the way they play midfield to then allow Foden or Grealish to to flourish in that area. I think obviously you know if Grealish was to move into that position, then it might have a knock on effect for any kind of future business around Jude Bellingham because I know he's he's another name that's been touted around Europe. So it kind of gets to the stage where if City bought Jude Bellingham, you then think, well, what what then happens to Grealish? Does he? Do you persist with him on the left, or, or, or you know, do you not sign Bellingham and and, and stick with with Grealish? I suppose I, again, you know, all questions. To be, to be honest, I, it's a trust thing with Pep. It's always a trust thing about midfield. Uh, you look at Foden, you look at Grealish, Cole Palmer as well, James McCarthy. These are all players that have got the attributes to play in that number eight position. Um, but even though Foden's had a number of seasons with us now at the senior level, and he's been absolutely brilliant he hasn't been deployed that much yet in that central midfield position it, it is all about trust for pep um will it affect personally i'm not coming at it from a, a, an in the know thing here with regards to our transfer business next summer in terms of the squad will he fit yes because next summer we're probably going to lose gundawan i'm not sure he's going to get a contract extension uh and it's up next summer kdb's 32 at the beginning of next season and, I mean, we were lucky to keep Bernardo last summer. We're kind of hanging on to him by the skin of our teeth this summer. Uh, and if we don't, I would expect that by next summer he will be gone. So, at the moment, we've got three midfielders covering those two central midfield positions. We're probably going to lose two. One of them will be 32. Um, there's plenty of time and space for Grealish, Foden, Palmer to take up one of those slots. And then one or two incomings as well. All right, so we covered how City have deployed themselves yesterday and, and what, what we think it's going to look like moving forward, even in the absence, perhaps, of a left-back. But I want to put the question, Serge, first to you and then Jack to you second. What do you think each club, each club's eleven will look like next weekend? Obviously, on the United side, there are still questions over Cristiano Ronaldo's presence and uh, the capability of Martial to step up in that number nine. He's had a great pre-season. Jack, obviously, we're going to assume at this point that City still don't have a left-back. Uh, and but other than that, I think you know everyone's everyone's fit and does look almost ready to go other than half a yard slowness. So, Serge, you first. How do you think you're going to set up full 11? So, full 11, uh, for me... Um... I suppose it is similar to how he set up against Atletico, but maybe with a few changes. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be De Gea, uh, Delo, um, Varane and Martinez 
uh, a centre a centre back pairing with um, either Malassia or Shaw. But uh, it depends whether Shaw stays fit or not. Uh, if Shaw obviously isn't fit, then I think it'd be Malassia. I don't think Ten Hag trusts Tellez uh, in the defensive uh, role. Um, I think he's he's kind of a poor man's Chancello. Um, you know, he kind of he, he spends a lot of time further up the field and, and can't really defend. And I suppose. Um, I think Pep recognised that and, and uh, has, has made those changes to City so that, that he is going to be moved, be moved further forward so that you guys will eventually sign left-back. Whereas, you know, I think Eric Ten Hag is looking for an out-and-out left-back, which I think uh, Shaw and Malassia probably fit that role. I think in the, in the midfield, obviously pending any signings um, coming up, I think it's going to be McTominay and Fred. Um I think it, I think we could actually see, uh, if not McTominay, I think you could see a pairing of Bruno, Fred, and Ericsson, um, with the, with those two pairings playing together. I think Ericsson is is too good to leave on the bench. Um, watched him twenty minutes, obviously yesterday. Let's go and watch him uh, today as well. And he he he's just a you know he, he's just a cut above um, the players that we have. He really is a phenomenal player. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that it, it's going to be. Bruno, Ericsson and Fred or Bruno, um, Ericsson and McTominay depend who plays in, in that deeper role. Uh, and then up top, um, I'm hoping obviously for Fernandez, uh, Rashford, uh, Marshall um, and I think it could be either Ronaldo or, or Langer. Um, I've, I've said 11, haven't I? I've not said 12. I've said 11. I think I think you've put a four-two-three-one, but there were there were. I, I'm not sure you've got a lot, but this is actually interesting because it's something I've just picked up and I wanted to ask the question. If Martial isn't trusted, because ultimately, listen, yes, he's had a great preseason, but he's had seven years of very mediocre football, hmm. uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo's place in the squad is 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 being questioned at the moment. We seem to have an overload of number tens. You've got Van der Beek. Who you've actually not mentioned yet, but of course, you know, he was very much a favourite under 10 targets. Uh, Ajax, you've got Ericsson, you've got Fernandez, you've got a, a decent selection of number 10s. Do you see yourself, if you don't sign a striker, looking at a system similar to City's last season with a false nine? And it's a, good, it's a really good question. It's, it's, it's very possible. Um, you know, based on the performance today, I think Garnacho, you'll see, he'll, he'll, I think he's going to play a lot of minutes for United next season. I mean, he was really, really impressive today. Granted, he, he didn't get on the score sheet, but he, he was the standout player, you know, after the 90 minutes. Really, really look, look, looks the business. It looks like he's, this is going to be his breakthrough season. Uh, so, I mean, if, 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 if Ronaldo you know, leaves and we don't sign a replacement. Um, I, I can see Garnacho filling that role. Uh, I think he's, he, he, he's, he's kind of ripe and, and, and he's getting to, um, you know, as I said, a breakthrough season for him. So I am hoping that he's going to uh, play um, quite a bit of football this year for United. So yeah, I, th- I think, you know, Martial, Garnacho, Ronaldo, if he stays, you know, up top, um, I, I, think, I think I said Elanga at one point, but you know that Elanga role could again in terms of in terms of width, you know you'd have Elanga or Sancho. I, I know I missed Sancho off. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it would be you know De Gea, Delo, Varane, uh, Martinez, uh, Malassia or Shaw. Um, I'm hoping it's McTominay, Eriksson, Fernandez, um, and then uh, Rashford, Marshall, and Sancho. That was 11. Well done. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Please do that. No, the, the only thing I would say about the false nine, I'm going to move on to City in a second. Over to you, Jack. The only thing I would say about the false nine is it is a very tricky position. Uh, the only player that we've seen use it really to an elite level will be Lionel Messi, of course, under, under Pep, uh, the false nine role that he played there. We relied, uh, I think our best performances with the true false nine came with De Bruyne or Foden. Uh, and even they weren't perhaps at that elite level of false nine. It, it's a very tricky position to play. So for me, I think Garnacho would be risky. You're probably looking at one of the more experienced lads like uh, Ericsson or Fernandez uh, to take up that role. Uh, but whether or not, you know, either kind of got the legs to, to, to maintain the pressing from the front, we'll see. But it'll be interesting to see how United go forward if, if you can't sign a striker. And obviously if Ronaldo leaves, it'll be... Interesting to see how you set up. Just on that, you can't play Ericsson and Fernandez in the same same team, can you? I think that's you're asking McTominay to do a lot of work there. I know, I know. Again, that's the, that is the concern. But this it's is well, this, this is United, though, isn't it? It's like Disneyland football. Well, yeah, you know, and it's kind of F- F- FM football. You kind of <laughs> you're throwing all these players in, and it, and it can become very unbalanced. But I mean, 
squad's unbalanced, right? The squad's unbalanced at the moment. At the moment, yeah, until we make some signings, which I do think United will do. United, you know, desperately need a midfielder. And it looks like this De Jong thing's, you know, finally coming to its uh, its end. Well, I mean, it has to. We've got a week left of the window. So it's going to come... Either one way we'll get De Jong, or I do think that we'll go in the market and get somebody else. Whether that, you know, other person, you know, fits Nevers's uh, Nevers's fits um, <laughs> fits De Jong's position, or is somebody else that might fit maybe maybe Nevers maybe Nevers. You know, I, I, oh god, uh, don't start Serge on Nevers. He's obsessed with Nevers. Yeah, I always talk about Nevers, but I just think he was he, he'd be the perfect signing for as an uh, immediate replacement for Michael Carrick, and he slots straight into United's. Uh, Eleven, in my opinion, I think it'd be a, it'd be a perfect signing, and I'm just surprised that we've never we, we, we've not actually gone for him yet. But listen, I, I live in hope, and I, he's young enough to be linked with us for a no, for a number of windows yet. Um, but I do think we'll, we'll, you know, as you said, it, it, it is an unbalanced uh, team currently. I think we'll, we will go for uh, a midfielder. I think we'll go for a forward as well um, before the, before the end of the window. I think you'll you'll see some some activity from United. But enough about me, I suppose. Over to you, Ali and Jack. What, what, what do you think? Obviously, will be City's first eleven. It's, it's quite interesting, obviously, with all the signings they've made. Um, who, who can you see starting? You know, over Haaland and, and Alvarez. Or you see them both starting. Uh, I'm going to put this one to Jack first. Jack, how do you see City uh, uh, setting up in the kind of first game of the season? I think it pretty much picks itself. To be honest, I think it's Edison, Walker, Diaz, Stones, Cancelo. Uh, Rodri, Bernardo, um, and then Mares, De Bruyne, Foden, and Haaland. I don't. I've, it's pretty, pretty well set, isn't it? I think you'd put you'd put a tenner on that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's I think that's a pretty uh, nailed on uh, eleven, to be honest. What, what, Ollie, would you say anything different from that? Uh, largely inclined to agree. I think, unfortunately, Grealish is going to be the full guy, at least until we do. Again, Cucurella or someone else. Again, yeah, again. I, listen, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I don't, I don't. I'm not going to rehash it. I think we've already been been over the reasons. He has got a bit of work to do himself, uh, but he's he's very much limited when he does play with Chancelo on that side. So yes, I think if if it is going to be Chancelo at left back, it will be Foden on left wing. Do, do you think it's a bit? Do you think it's a bit weird that that you signed a player for 100 million pounds, right? And he's. It's almost as if. He he was brought in and, and doesn't fit. Yeah, he, he doesn't fit the squad we have, but he does fit the squad we want, which is why we have been chasing Cucurella all summer. So it's a tough one, you know. You, the, obviously, the price tag always comes into the conversation, but his everyone knows his quality. Everyone knows his quality, and he's again he has shown it in preseason when he's had uh, had somebody alongside him on the left that can drag away that fullback. His quality is there. He's he's going to be fine, right? I'm, I'm confident. No, 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 no one's doubting he's not a good player. No one's, by the way, no, no one's doubting he's not a good player. Everyone think Grealish is very good. It's just whether you're going to get the boat, you know, the best out of him. I um, hope so. I hope we can make the signings that will allow us to get the best out of him. But I do think Jack's right. I think next weekend we're most likely to start Foden. Uh, I think Foden... I've sung Foden's praises uh, on the City Report podcast as well. I've said, you know, I think he can play in any position across the front five wherever we need him. So Foden, I think, has to start, and I think he will start at left wing. The only thing, the only place I might deviate from Jack's eleven is Ake in for Stones, uh, purely because Ake's played all the preseason games. Interesting. And, uh, he's he's had the most minutes under his belt since they all came back from the summer break. Obviously, Stones was away with the under-23s because of the USA's uh, entry restrictions. So I think Pep will show faith in Ake next weekend, and I think he'll start him alongside Diaz. Jack, out of interest, how come you did go for Stones over Ake? Uh, He's, in my view, best defender at the club. So if he's fit enough, you play him. But yeah, I completely take your point. That's why... When we had to do our predicted teams for the weekend, I didn't. I did have Ake and over Stones because um, you didn't think any of the three guys that were in Croatia with the uh, with the under twenty threes didn't think they they'd play because they've not had, didn't have the same sort of games program, did they? For one of a less wanky phrase um, over preseason. 
Uh, just a question on, obviously, the City formation. I know we, we keep going over it, but I think this is kind of a good point to talk about the Cucurella, the Cucurella uh, saga, if you would. Um, I hate the word saga. Uh, but we seem to get embroiled with them every every summer. So I'm going to ask you the question: What is going on with with the Cucurella saga? I mean, City traditionally have been a club that have you know identified a player, um, you know, held talks, you know, well usually well before the window, um, usually have some kind of uh, agreement in place either with you know early on in the window or prior to the window opening, and you know they get the business done seemingly very quickly. It's it's very uncity like to uh, ha- you know get embroiled in something as 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 late on as this, um, are City going to sign Cookie? What, what, what is the latest there? Yeah. They have had quite. You... They have had quite a lot of high-profile sort of uh, near misses in the transfer market, for want of a, a better phrase. Really, what do you mean by that? Well, in that they wouldn't pay the money for Maguire, so they so they went. We're not. We're not doing mm-hmm. it. Um, they wouldn't pay the money for Fred. They wouldn't pay the money for Sanchez, um, obviously all of whom went to Old Trafford instead, hmm. and obviously and, that, and, and become legends of the club. Yeah, <laughs> almost overnight, I thought. <laughs> um, and then there was Harry Kane last last summer, uh, and they turned around look, and went, "Look, we're not just not paying." I don't even know what what it got up to in the end. What so I think Spurs it was about 150 mil. It was ridiculous, and they just said, "Well, we're, we're just not doing it." But there's been quite a few of these. Particularly the Sanchez, Maguire, and Kane examples that have gone on for quite a while, um, and City have just held, just you know, remained there with the um, selling club, knowing that they want the player, sort of maybe expecting some form of negotiation down the line, and it just never happened. I think nowadays, you know, especially with like the smaller clubs, it's quite interesting because, you know, it, typically in the olden days, smaller clubs were kind of there for the pickings and, you know, the mm. big clubs would just go and raid them and, you know, take whoever they wanted and and then run off into the sunset. It, it seems nowadays, you know, that doesn't seem to be the case. A lot of the, you know, especially with the money that's now in football, um, a lot of the smaller clubs seem to have quite a lot of clout and hold, you know, I hold a lot of the cards. Obviously, with Cucurella, he has a long contract there. Brighton, you know, d- d- aren't in a position where they have to sell him by any means. They, 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 they can hold on to their prize possession, hold out for the most amount of money. Um, I mean, do, do you personally see City agreeing some kind of middle way with 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 Brighton, or, or do you think? This yeah, I think they want to do. I think they want to do something closer to forty million. But Brighton have turned around and said, "We want fifty. That's the price. You either pay it or you don't." Which is exactly what City have done with Chelsea on Nathan Ake. So yeah. that's how it works. But the other thing is about the you made a good point about the smaller club surge was that the market, the transfer market in England has been inflated by City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and United for the last ten years. So therefore, the players that they want to sign from these smaller clubs are now valued far higher than they once were. So. The, the market's been inflated by the top six. So the mm. top six then have to pay the money that the smaller clubs expect for their players. That's just 100%. the way it works. I think our club, I think United are definitely uh, you know, li- liable for that. I think we've uh, we've had little to no transfer strategy at all. Um, and uh, it's, it's a bit like the property market, isn't it? You know, People are paying extortionate prices for properties and it's just driving everything else up. So it's, it's the, the, the argument for Cucurella is interesting. I'm really in two minds about the right price for him. Um on the one hand, we signed a left back that I won't talk about too much a few years ago for 50 million. Uh, so you'd think, okay, fast forward six years and asking 50 million for Cucurella is probably not that bad if you consider that that's the same price as what we were paying six years ago. However, the left back that we signed six years ago was Champions League quality at the time. Um, he was coming along over with Bernardo Silva as well. Whereas Cucurella's not had any Champions League minutes, he's had very few minutes internationally. So in terms of his record, he's not all that experienced at the very top level. Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about with the inflation. Because if you were signing Benjamin Mendy now, it'd be 75, 80 mil. And look at the stories about look at the stories about Wesley Fofana today. Like Leicester wanting eighty five million. Eighty five million, yeah, so that's nonsense. Well, like, yeah. that's just where they're at. That's just what the that's football now, isn't it? It's not. Jack, do you think he's worth fifty mil? Cucurella? in the market. Yeah, do you think it's fair price? Uh, I, to be honest, I've not watched enough of him live to 
to pass judgment, really. But I mean, if if, if, ben, if Ben White's fifty million, Cuccarella's fifty million. Listen, the thing: if 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 City have identified him as the top target to replace, well, replace nobody because he didn't have a left back, then it doesn't matter what he's worth. It's the going rate. So that's what these clubs expect. They see you coming. So you either want to do it or you don't. They always say, um, especially in football, well, in, in, in anything, something's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Grealish is a good example of that, actually. I, I think in the end we'll pull the trigger. Um, I, I think we'll probably save some face by doing 45 mil plus five. They can't, they can't, do, it at fi- they can't do it at 50 now. They've made it known that they're not doing 50, so they can't spend 50 on him. You don't think there'll be an add-on structure or something to save face, perhaps? Uh, possibly, but it, Brighton, one of them is going to lose face if that happens. And I don't think either of them want to. Uh, so it might be that they... Do, do, do Brighton yeah. need the 50 million? Like, you know, like, obviously, with clubs, especially cash-strap clubs, you know, fire set, but 50 million nowadays, you know, I'm not saying Brighton go out and spend 50 million on a player, and then obviously that is a lot of money, to, you know, to a club like Brighton, but even so, you know, clubs, middle-range middle, middle range clubs like Brighton, whatever, they still have modest budgets, and they have, you know, they're still able to sign good players for 20, 30, 35 million. They're absolutely loaded. All of the clubs in the Premier League are absolutely loaded. And they don't have to, and they don't have to sell. It's, um, which is it, look the last few days. There's been an interesting timeline with this on the last few days. Right, so City talked to Brighton again on Thursday. No resolution. Cucurella puts a transfer request in on Friday. Doesn't play in Brighton's game on Saturday, and it's coming out today that City have reiterated, which they have all throughout, that they won't pay fifty mil. So that, if you put sort of join the dots, it would suggest that it's not going particularly well. Personally, my last point on this, I think we've done okay. Listen, we've we've brought in four signings. We've got one more to go. Four of them have gone extremely smoothly. One of them hasn't. It's not a bad rate. Just personally, I wish it wasn't the left-back position that had given us so much trouble. Uh, I think that and a striker were priority. And I think if there was one that was going to be stretched out, uh, I, would have, I would have rather it was Ortega or perhaps even KP, but it is what it is. Um, so I'm going to move us on. Serge, this is one for you. Jack, you might have some insight as well into this from perhaps yourself or your colleagues, but uh, news in the week that Sir Alex Ferguson has rejoined United in an official capacity here. I think last time it was always almost at times of crisis that he was called in and uh, asked to you know, do whatever the guy does. Um but now he seems to be back in uh, in the boardroom. How do you feel about that, Serge? What firstly, what I mean, what is his role? What exactly is he going to do? And in this new transition era, again, when you're supposed to be moving forward, you very much pulled in a figure from the past. How how are you feeling about this? Obviously, Ferguson is is is, is a legend, um, and he's obviously been handed this role by you know Richard Arnold, who's obviously chief exec. I mean, you know, <laughs> Fergie. One of the most, obviously most famous names in, in world football, you know, led the club to thirteen Premier League titles, five FA Cup rounds, two Champions League trophies. Um, I mean, it, for him to be involved in the club day to day, I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, his experience, uh, knowledge of the club, obviously to help them move forward during this kind of transitional period, I don't think is a, is, is 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 a bad thing. Um, there was some kind of talk of that, that that they've come up um, that he's going to be part of this kind of think tank that's been set up by uh, by Arnold um, with David Gill and Brian Robson um, and Murto apparently also all involved in all of this. Um, again, w- w- what that means day to day, I'm not so sure. Um, it doesn't sound to me that Fergie's role is going to be kind of day to day. It sounds more that it's going to be more of a um, a development role. Um, to, you know, to develop United kind of going forward. Um, as I said, I don't think having his experience um, is a bad thing uh, within the club. Um, also, you know, other names, as I mentioned, David Gill, obviously Brian Robson, um, again, also all, all very all, all very big football people, uh, been in the game a long time. I, I don't think it, it's it's a bad thing. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. Um, I, as I said, I, it all seems a bit... Um, uh, kind of under the covers of, of, of what what his actually day to day role will be, but um, yeah, as I said, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
Jack, what do you reckon? What do you make of it? I think it's just, uh, well, it's Chris Wheeler's story in the mail on um, Saturday morning. I think just, I think it's just formalising the uh, advice he was given already. Because um, I've obviously been a, a non-executive director for, um, well, since I think since he left, was is that? Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, um, so they've been able to call on him whenever they want, but they've not wanted to, I don't think, under under Woodward. I think Woodward sort of wanted to do it his own way and, and mm. wanted to get away from the United of old, which, I, you know, Woodward's got plenty of detractors, but you can sort of sympathise with that a little bit in that we need to move on. We, You know, you can't be living in the past, which, you know, United have... It's one of the major criticisms I have of United is that they are a club that can be seen to be stuck in the past. Um, so it's an in, it's an interesting move by Arnold, uh, and what from what I can glean from it, it's basically instead of being able to call on Ferguson in a ad hoc nature, um, they're making it a little bit more a uh, bit more of a calendar event in the meetings that they have, which might be monthly or whatever, where he discusses quite a lot of issues which would be like what they do with Carrington or you know some of the things they're doing with Old Trafford on the redevelopment as well as the football club mm. um, or you would assume that it would still be relatively ceremonial um, and it's a smart I think it's a smart smart thing from Arnold to, to bring these uh, yeah, to, to call on that experience I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing They've got. To, they've just got to be careful not to step on Murta's toes when it comes to the sort of the transfer stuff and the football side of it, hmm. because that's a very specific appointment, isn't it? So you can't appoint someone and then have someone backseat driving. But I don't think that'll. Doesn't sound like that's what'll happen. No, no, I don't, and I don't. I don't think. I don't, to be honest, I don't think Fergie wants to probably get embroiled in that either. Um, I, I, I think they're probably going to be there as a, as a, as you said, to kind of you know formalise things, but also I think you know as a as a lean on them for, 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 for advice and, and experience. Um, I don't, I don't, as I said, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. Particularly the David Gill element as well. Oh, absolutely. I think Gill you know, was a massive, obviously massive part of United and has been, um, obviously before we took up uh, his role uh, elsewhere and at UEFA, I think he was, and, and wherever else he's, you know, whatever else he's been doing. But listen, you know, David Gill's a, a massively experienced uh, football person, you know, knows football inside and out, knows knows Manchester United inside and out, uh, knows the day-to-day operations. Um, these guys aren't, aren't, aren't stupid people, obviously. They, they, they know Manchester United needs to modernise and, and they know under Murto that I'm sure they, obviously, he's got carte blanche to do whatever he wants. And obviously, you've seen that over the summer with the amount of people that left uh, the club. Um, it does feel like a fresh start for United. It does feel like for the first time also that they've kind of given the manager uh, carte blanche to 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 well to, to build his team, you know, that, that he wants. And and they've kind of had to because obviously Eric Ten Hag came and you know came in pretty late. Uh, United didn't have time to to build the transfer window of, of players that they wanted. Um, you know, like City had probably you know courted Haaland for over a year. Uh, United have had three managers in that time. You know, so it, we, we, they've not had the chance to to plan properly this year. Um, and it, as you said, it is another transitional uh, season for United. I do think they've got the right man this time. I really do. Um, I, I think he's got the right backroom staff. I think you've got great experience, uh, even with people like McLaren coming in. Um, and I saw yesterday United have signed up Benny McCarthy as a as a first team uh, striker coach as well. Um, obviously, Benny McCarthy. Massive experience, um, was a fantastic striker in his day, and uh, uh, I know he's he's had some managerial roles um, um, over the last few years, um, and uh, he, he's done his all his coaching badges. Uh, I think he'll be a, he'll, he'll he'll be a good addition as well. So I think they are building you know something new and exciting at Old Trafford. I think it is an exciting project. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to be competing with City or Liverpool at least for uh, the, the next season or the next couple of seasons uh, until he starts, you know, really kind of... You know, these things take time, as, as, as you know, but I do think they've got the right man this time. Do you not have a fear from a fan's point of view that it's going to follow the same sort of cycle in that the start well under Ten Hag, everything looks quite rosy, might get in the Champions League and then 
suddenly season after next, you're back to square one. I mean, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't think they can afford to. Uh, I actually think this is kind of sink or swim for um, current management, but also you know current owners. Um, I think if if they don't um, trust the manager through good and bad times um, this season and you know next season or whatever, I think you'll see Manchester United kind of disappear into nothingness. I think they'll uh, you know re- really become. Obviously, we are very average at the moment, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But I, I think obviously there's only so much um, profit you can pull out of a club. You know, for it to be, you know, obviously still profitable, but there's only so so much money that you can make and milk out of Manchester United, uh, whilst they are such a big brand. But you know, if if we don't invest in the football, you know, what matters on the field, and you know, we we can't continue to to uh, survive on our past glories. Um, I think this is really going to be a a, a make it or break it couple of seasons for Manchester United Football Club. So I think we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. But I do think they've got the right man. I do think they're putting the right framework in place. And uh, I think it's more the fans that need to kind of be, you know, give the time that, 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 you know, that that Ten Hag uh, requires. Uh, United aren't going to win every game. I I don't think that. But I think uh, he's, you know, he's got a real philosophy. He's a manager that's on the rise as opposed to some of the managers that we've hired that have, um, you know that, that that were on the uh, on on the other way down. Um, I, I, I think is exciting. I think yeah. I think I, th- I think it's good. I, th- I think it's a good move for Manchester United. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, got one more point to make before we go back to the Twitter questions that we've had in over the last couple of days. So the first one we've already covered about Cucurella. I think we've discussed that enough. No, no, I'm ready to go again. Come on. <laughs> Becoming almost a United-esque saga, this one. It's, it's a bit <laughs> ridiculous. But there is one I want to ask you. I think we've got to cover it because the news has obviously flared up from the Spanish press again over the last day or so. Bernardo Silva, what's going on? Uh, well, not a lot from what I can gather. Um, I don't think he's... Well, they're expecting him to go anywhere. Um, it's always like... Always tricky with stuff coming out of Spain, particularly with Barcelona. Uh, people around Barcelona are quite chatty and like to have names in the papers and there's a lot of politics that goes with that club, which I'm sure you're both fully aware yeah. of. Mm. Um, so I always, I don't want to sort of disparage anyone, but I would like take things with a little bit of a pinch of salt when it comes to, when it comes to Barcelona. Obviously, Bernardo wanted to wanted to leave the club last year, they said, yeah, fine, if if we get an offer that we deem that's deemed acceptable, they, they never got that, and they're not going to get it this year either. What do we find acceptable, Jack? What are we looking for? Well, that's the thing. I was just about to say, if we're, you know, we're having that conversation about Cucurella before at 50 million, Bernardo's 80, 90 million pound footballer, isn't he? Yeah. And how, how old is Bernardo nowadays? 28. 20. Uh, it's, it's no, I don't think he's that old, actually. Really? I could be wrong. Really? Bernardo Silva? It says that Bernardo Silva is 27 years of age. I can't believe he's so young. I mean, he's going to be hitting his prime years now. I mean, surely, obviously, you don't want to be letting go of him by any means. But they have this they have this thing under, under Pep that if, if you don't want to be at the club, then you can go. You can go. Yeah. Which is the sort of thing that has served them quite well over the years. Um and it's one of those things that, quite, that people can say that it's like, oh, this has served them really well. It's great man management, blah, blah, blah. But actually it doesn't really mean anything. And then, But I genuinely think that him allowing, you know, they wouldn't have wanted Sterling around the club another year. He didn't want to be there. Same with Jesus. Uh, so I think they do really well at allowing these guys to, to leave. Because it because it has an impact in the you know during the season. I mean, look, I remember when when Laporte wasn't playing a couple of years ago, and he was just like, it just it's just not good for morale when someone that good is not playing and not very happy. Yeah, uh, I think it helps with our incomings as well. This policy, uh, players are more inclined to join us. <clears throat> Sorry, players are more inclined to join us, knowing that if perhaps things weren't going well for them here or for whatever reason they did want to move on. You look at Ferran Torres, great example, and also Erling Haaland as well coming in. I think it helps us sell the club to players as well because they know that for whatever reason, if we do get a sensible offer, they can go. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the thing with Haaland is that obviously there's a release clause in after a few years. So, um, oh, is there? That's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done, um, I've done a feature on Haaland for the start of the season. I was talking to someone around, uh, talking to someone at Dortmund the other week, and they were laughing. They said, "Bloody hell!" Like, we only had this speculation about his future after like a year of him being here. Like Man City are already having to deal with release clause chat, and he's not even played a game yet. Well, I think I, I remember the headline. It was uh, Marsa, I think the newspaper. It was about three days after we signed him, and Harlan was splashed across the back page, and it said Harlan 2024, I think, or 2025. It was like this is the exact date that Real Madrid will be signing Erling Harlan. Listen, it's a load of rubbish, you know. Again, this is just going back to what you were saying before. All kinds of stuff comes out of the Spanish press. Um, but again, even someone like Harlan, you know, you, with or without the release clause, the release clause is, is kind of irrelevant here anyway. Because if we were going to say, you can leave if an acceptable offer comes in, and we deem that acceptable offer to be 175 million, the release clause just formalizes that, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, they've not. Um... When that's been agreed during the contract negotiations, City haven't just said, right, this is a number and Ireland and his reps have had no choice about it. They've obviously both determined that to be a fair a fair price. Do you not, do you um, not find it interesting that a player who's signed for, obviously, Manchester City, who are obviously leading the line at the moment, um, wants a release clause in his contract? I mean, I, 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 I think it's a very, very, very special case. Yeah, I was going to say, I find, I find it very strange. Yeah, it's I, the way... The Haaland, in in many ways, is not a lot to say about Haaland in the sense that he was grown in a lab <laughs> and was made to score goals and is really good at scoring goals, despite what we saw at Leicester on Saturday and will be Premier League top scorer, blah, 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 best striker in Europe. But there is lots of interesting things that go on around him in the sense, in a way that everything is so carefully managed They've like picked every choice they've made in his career has been absolutely perfect for him. And they can see this sort of pathway to when he's sort of late 20s and he's in his peak and he might be at Real Madrid or he might do what Aguero did and join City, love the club, never leaves. Just because there is a release clause doesn't mean he will leave. Um, but with Haaland, when he was, when he was in Bruna as a child... They sent him off to to Mold, Molder, which was I think it's like a thirteen hour drive when he was like fourteen. So he went to play up there. When he moved to Salzburg, like Juventus wanted him, but they said no to Juventus because he was going to play at Salzburg. He obviously shunned Premier League interest, including United, when he went to Dortmund because Dortmund was seen as the best place for him. And now he's gone to City, which is also seen as the best place for him. I just find all that like the carefully managed element of his progression, a real sort of fascination. Yeah, everything, and everything does point to, as he said, he is a special case and everything is planned. But for me, the release clause, obviously the immediate reaction was alarm bells, but at the end of the day, as I said, it's just putting a number on the policy that we already have. If we get an acceptable offer, he can go. The other very, very quick point to make about release clauses is that it's been a... Obviously, this has been a thing in Spain for years and years and everyone has a release clause in their contract. I think this is something that's creeping into English football more and more. Um, we saw it with Grealish. We saw it with Phillips. Phillips had a release clause if Leeds were going to go down. I think the, I think there are more than we than we know uh, and they're kept, they're kept under wraps a little bit more in England than they are abroad. I think it's an interesting point and I think also just kind of leading to next week's pod... Um, we will get some insight into that as well. Um, I'm not going to say too much of who the guest is, but we've got a, a good guest coming on next week uh, who will discuss, I suppose, ins and outs of transfers and how they happen from a from a uh, from an agent's point of view and, and and how that all works. I think that'd be really interesting. So there's a couple of cautionary tales. Harry Kane, six-year contract, no release clause. Obviously, look what happened with him last summer uh, and Cucurella as well right now. <laughs> no release clause and he's unfortunately subject to whatever offer Brighton decide they want and that's the end of it. So, um, all right, so I'm going to move on now. We are, just before wrapping up, going to answer a couple of Twitter questions that we had. The first one is from at Lou underscore fish 94. How much will City need to adapt their game to suit 
Erling Haaland. He actually did use a derogatory term for him, but for the... Scandy Carroll. He Scandy Carroll. Yeah, for, for the purpose of the listeners and for Jack's question, um, Erling Haaland. And how will this hurt City in the short to medium term? Jack? Uh, I do, the, they have to adapt in the sense that they'll have to go back to front a little bit quicker, but he had 16 touches yesterday. Uh, two of them were key passes, and I think he had three big chances, didn't he? So imagine if he has 30 touches in a match. Mm. Mm. There's something that you raised in your, in your article today, I saw. Uh, and you're right, you're right. It's, it's just going to be short period of adjustment. But even if we are playing at below perfect, that should still be good enough to get past, I think, most most opposition in the league. Um, and the second question that we had, it, there were a few kind of different versions of this question, but the top and bottom of it, Jack, was if we don't sign Cucurella, do City have an alternative in mind? Uh, Grimaldo's been been linked. Uh, Sosa from Stuttgart is one they've is one they've watched. Um, I know they've I know they've in the past they've liked uh, Kieran Tierney, but it's not gonna that's not gonna happen. So it's it's a sort of it's a bit of a wait and see really. Um, Guerrero at Dortmund is another, um, but. You, know, you don't want to start negotiations with Dortmund now, Jesus. Well, no, this is a thing. It's like, but you don't want to start negotiations with loads yeah, of these anyone, teams. Yeah. yeah, like that's the problem. The whole the whole it's thing's just... changed, as I said before. You know, you can't just go and nick these people anymore. It's yeah. yeah. And with Jack, when you say that we've been watching them, so we've been watching Soso, we've been watching uh, Guerrero, that kind of thing. Uh, when you say we've been watching them. Uh, are we really keen? Are City really keen on them? Or is it a case of we're watching them, but at the end of the day, we've decided these are completely suboptimal choices? Is it going to be Cucurella or nobody, despite watching these players? Do you think? Uh, no, I think they will. I think they will go out and sign someone. Um, yeah, because because they are looking at alternatives. In with the language used, basically, if if you know if they've been watching them, they are on a list. Uh, of players, but I mean that list can be ten, fifteen names long. Mm. I mean it won't be at this point. It'll be like six or seven. If even well, it, it should be even less than that. Um, but yeah, there'll be you know we. It's going back to United. We've we've had loads of stories in the past where United have had a list of bloody sixteen, seventeen hundred left right backs or whatever, <laughs> haven't they? And, and they still landed on one Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you, you have alleviated my fears because I do think we need a left-back even if it is a suboptimal choice. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm going to wrap up now. We have got, as Serge said, alluded to before, we've got a really interesting guest on next week. So do tune in. And also, just going to close off as well by congratulating the Lionesses on getting over the line and winning the Women's Euros 2022. This has been the Mancunian Way pod. I'm Ollie, your co-host, along with Serge, our special guest, Jack. All of our handles will be in the description on Spotify, Anchor. We are working on Apple Music. We'll get there as well. A little bit awkward, but it's coming. And yeah, make sure you tune in next week. If you've enjoyed, leave us a five-star review as well. Jack, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Nice one, thank you. Thank you very much. Manchester United score. They always score. Clear, Keats with a shot. Jerry